Father, I just thank you for the opportunity to be involved in your ministry. And I just pray now that you would silence all those things that I'm thinking about that are in my head that don't necessarily need to be shared this morning. And that only the things that you want to be shared will end up making its way. Father, I pray that the people who are here today that don't have a relationship with you might hear the good news and start that relationship today. And I pray that the people who do have a relationship with you would be strengthened and maybe find a way to redefine that just a little bit to make it a little better than it was yesterday. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Yesterday I celebrated my 19th anniversary with Angel. And I only... (laughs) I only say that to say that now that we've been married for 19 years, probably after about 10 years, I started learning the things that make her angry, and I try not to do those. <laughs> it takes a little while, to be honest. In the, at least it took me a while. Probably longer than most. But the relationship I have with Angel is voluntary, and I started really thinking about how that links to the relationship that we have with Christ. He calls us his bride. And the relationship that we decide to have with him is a voluntary relationship. We're not coerced into that. We don't have to have that. I mean, he desires to have that relationship with us, but he allows us the freedom to reject that relationship. So in that light, to me, it doesn't make sense to have a relationship with someone where you're constantly trying to pull back and decide all the things you don't want to do. Um, most of the time, I put 100% into my marriage. I can say that sometimes I wake up and I'm tired or my circumstances are bad and I just feel like, man, you know, I, don't, I didn't give it my all today. And that's, that's when I need to go to my wife and apologize, usually. And I'm sure because of her humanity, she's the same way. So I just want you to mull that over in your mind as, I, as, as we go through today's sermon On Monday, I was at work, about five o'clock in the morning, I was putting bread on the shelf in Walmart. Two police officers ran in, they ran to the back of the store, then they ran back outside. And then a couple minutes later, they ran back in again, and I saw a couple managers had come to the front of the store, and they ran back to the back of the store again, and then a couple minutes later, they ran back out the front of the store with about four or five employees and some managers following. And a few minutes later, the managers came back in, and I went over to one of the managers, and I said, what, what happened out there? And he said that a woman in the parking lot shot herself twice trying to commit suicide. And I didn't have a good way to open this message to talk about the death of a Christian, but it suddenly sunk into my mind that Sometimes people are, have such a bad life that they'll do just about anything to, to have a fresh start. Um, the story that I got, I, I don't have any way to check this out and, and see if it's reliable or not, but the story that I got was that her and her husband or her boyfriend got in an argument and he went inside to go shopping. She stayed in the car and decided that she was just going to end it all and she shot herself twice, once in the leg and once in the shoulder. 
when I told Angel, Angel said, twice? I mean, after the first time, you would think, wow, that might shock her back into reality. That hurts. But she was searching for a way to start over. And I don't know how many people in the world wake up in the morning and desperately want to start their life over, but have no idea how to do that. I think as Christians, it's our job to tell them how. And the last few weeks, as we've been going through Colossians, it's been kind of a broad spectrum lesson on how to start over. But in Romans chapter 6 here, I think Paul is being very specific in detailing how a Christian starts, or, or how anyone starts over, and how they have a new identity when they are born in the Spirit and dead to sin. I do want to take a second and talk to you about the fact that in Romans chapter 6 here, Paul is talking to Christians. He's not talking to non-Christians, and it makes it a little more difficult to make a, a, a salvation message out of it because in, in this particular instance, Paul is assuming that his audience has already become Christian, has already been saved, and already has that marriage relationship to Christ. So if you're not a Christian, I want to kind of say the same thing that Doug said last week, which is basically your takeaway from this message. If you're not a Christian, the only thing that you should take away from this message is that if you desire a chance to have a fresh start and a new relationship with Christ, the putting Christ in charge of your life is the best way and the first step. But if you decide that you're going to become a Christian, ironically, step one is death. I wore all black today because I wanted to, well, I didn't want to. I, I, I did kind of because I, we had a choice of what portions of the text we were going to cover, and I jumped right out in the front and said, I'll pick the first part. And then I told Craig this morning, talking about death as a Christian is not as easy as I thought it would be. But yes, I, I wore black because I'll be talking about death, but I wore the pineapples because for Christians, it's not all bad news, right? <laughs> so, it's not all bad. About 25 years ago, my grandmother had, you know, well, I'll, I'll go back and cover this in a minute. 25 years ago, my grandmother had open heart surgery and she had to have all four valves in her heart replaced. And 25 years ago, that was a risky surgery. I don't know how risky it is today, but the doctors called in my mom and my dad and my grandmother and my grandmother's siblings and said that there was only a 30 to 40% chance that she would live through the surgery and about a 60% chance that she would die. But if she didn't do the surgery, she was certainly going to die soon. So they talked it over and they agreed to go forward. A few days later, the hospital called in my grandmother's relatives again, and specifically my parents. They tried to get to sign a paper declaring that if my grandmother died during the surgery, my parents would agree to continue to pay the hospital bills. My father a little more savvy than my mother, said, there is no way you're going to kill my wife's mother and then get her to pay the bill for that. You know what I mean? Like, this is not going to happen. And they didn't sign the paper. 
But I will say that even though my grandmother lived for another six or seven years beyond the surgery, she could never have repaid the debt that the hospital bill incurred. It was huge. So let's go back to Romans 6. And I'm going to read verses 2 and 3. The second half of verse 2, it says, We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or did you not know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? When you accepted Christ as your Savior, you died. Now that sounds like bad news, but don't forget the pineapples. It's actually good news. It's good news because the debt that you owed to sin no longer has to be paid by you. For some people, that's not a lot of debt, but it is debt that they can't pay, and for me, I can say it was a lot of debt. The good news is Paul is saying it can't be paid by you because you died. I do want to take a sidebar here and say that I want to talk a little bit about baptism I think it's worth noting that most of the time when Paul talks about baptism, he suggests it as a foregone conclusion that Christians have been baptized. In Colossians 3.1, he says, since you have been baptized. Here in Romans, he says, all of you who were baptized. And again, I do want to say, is it necessary for salvation? No. But I feel like this week the Holy Spirit put in my heart that when I say I love and trust Christ and I enter into a marriage relationship with him, I want to do what pleases him and I want him to save me from the things that don't please him. And I start thinking of all, I, I don't, my mindset has changed in a way that I don't think of all the things I have to do. I think of all the things I want to do. I can only say that I'm glad that Jesus doesn't look at the relationship the same way I look at the relationship sometimes, which is, well, I don't have to do that. I'm very guilty, I'm very guilty, me, personally, of waking up on Sunday morning and saying, I don't have to go to church. Sometimes I'm tired and I don't wanna to go to church. I missed church a couple of times on Sunday and Doug called me and, and said, listen, Rob, um, I know you don't have to be in church, but it does look kind of strange if I let you up to talk in front of people and you're here on those Sundays, but you're not here on the Sundays where you're not doing anything. And then my wife tells me sometimes too, it's not about me showing up here on Sunday for myself as much as it maybe is about me showing up here on Sunday for someone else. So anyway, sidebar closed. Jesus would like for us to do the things that he lists in the Bible for us to do. He wants us to love one another. I don't have to love one another. My debt. If it can't be paid by me, and it wasn't paid by me, who paid it? Jesus, of course. Because he lived a perfect life, and because God rewarded him with the keys to everything, Jesus' blood was enough to pay for all sin, for all time, and he paid off eternity with perfect blood. If Jesus paid your debt, then no one needs to come and try to collect it from you. And Jesus took a second step. It's not listed here. He took a second step to make sure that you would understand how safe you are from any debt collector. 
If you go back to Colossians, where we were last week, Colossians 3.3 says, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ and God. For some reason, the word hidden stuck out to me. He didn't have to hide it, but what did he do? He set it away where my spirit would be safe so that the devil couldn't show up and say, hey, I need Rob's spirit, let's go. He owes me. So let's return to the first two verses. I did this a little bit out of order because the, the first two verses say, so what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning that grace might increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Once your debt is paid, you are set free from the exchange system. Why go back? Excuse me. Of course, you end up there in the old life sometimes. But I would encourage you, as those who have died, when you find yourself back at the place where you got into debt in the first place. And when I thought about this, I thought about gambling. You know, so you, you go and you play, and I, I've played poker before, and you go and you play and you lose $50, and you think, well, if I just go back tomorrow, maybe I can win the 50 that I lost plus 50 more, right? But it doesn't ever work. So when you end up back there where you lost all the, where you incurred all the debt that you had in the first place, your job is to recognize it sooner, get out faster, and stay away longer because you have no business there anymore. Does it steal your salvation? No. Does incurring debt cause Jesus to say, look, you, I paid your debt once, I'm not paying it again? No. But it doesn't please him, and it's no good for you. It's of no benefit to you. Mainly because even if you do win, you're still dead. Craig and I discussed last week, as we were talking, that as Christians, we aren't sinless. We just need to sin less. And that comes really from raising yourself up into a new life. Craig's going to come up now and he's going to share the benefits of the rebirth. I get to talk about the death. He gets to talk about the good news, which is what happens when you rise again. So I get to talk about the pineapples then, huh? <laughs> cool. <laughs> Could have given me a heads up there, Rob. Pineapples. All right. Should be kiwi fruit, but that's okay. <laughs> I'm going to just read my section, Romans 6, 7 to 11, and you can follow along with, with me. I'll start from verse 6, though. For we know that our self was crucified with him, so that the body of sin might be done away with, and we should no longer be slaves to sin, because anyone who has died has been freed from sin. Now, if we sin with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin, once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. So I'm going to be looking at the little, that portion there that really talks about the change that happens when we become a Christian. The moment we become a Christian, things change in our spirit and they change in our body. So what happens when they change in our spirit? And I think I've got an overhead coming up. John, thank you. What happens to our spirit? There you go. What happens to our spirit when we become a Christian? 
Well, our spirit becomes dead to sin. Our spirit is freed from sin's control. We are no longer slaves to that. Our spirit is reborn. Really, this this is called the, the born identity, but we should have recalled it the reborn identity. Our soul and our personality are all transformed. Our spirit is free from death. We will live eternally with Christ. And with the help of the Holy Spirit, our regenerated spirit can start to have control over our unregenerated body. We don't have... Well, even though I become a Christian, I still have this old body. This body doesn't get remade until Jesus comes back and gives me a new one. This old body is still in the same condition it was before I was saved. My old body is still under the control and influence of sin. My old body still wants to sin. It's in the body's nature. And our body still desires things that are not godly. And as an example of this, if I told you tomorrow morning at 5 a.m. we're all going to come in here and have a 5 o'clock Bible study, what's the first thing that comes to your mind is, I don't think I can handle that. My body can't cope with that. Your heart's desire might be to have a Bible study, but your body rebels against that and is not interested in doing a godly thing like that. And Jesus' example would be with the disciples when he asked them to pray and they couldn't stay awake. Their flesh, their their spirit was willing, but their flesh was weak. Our body is not wired to do right. Our old nature shows up first. If I'm driving home this afternoon after church and I get out onto 19 and a car cuts me off, who shows up first? My old nature, right? Ah! Oh, oh, I'll, I'll pray for you and I hope those people get home. You know, what shows up first? Your old nature, your old body shows up first to those situations. Our old body is not wired to do right. And our body rebels against what our heart or what our spirit desires. Our brain is still the same. Even though we've become a Christian, our brain is still the same. All those things that we put into our brain before we became a Christian are still there. And that's why Romans 12 talks about renewing your mind. The world tells us that we should patch up our old body, to retrain it, to reform it, to rehabilitate it, to counsel it, to put it into a support group, and to tell it that it's okay. But it's futile to try and fix up our old body, because we can't fix it until Christ brings us a new one. But we do have to work to bring it under control. So how does this help us today, knowing that our spirit has changed and our body has changed? How does this change help me cope on a day-to-day basis with all that's going on in the world right now? So if I'm to bring my body under control, and if I'm trying to become more like the the person Christ wants me to be and work out my sanctification, I have to change the way I think about the world and my place in it. I have to put the world in its proper place. And sometimes I spend way too much time thinking about the here and now rather than thinking about the there and then. These verses seem to be telling me that I need to think more about heaven and the life that I'll have with Christ in the future 
And from that, I can engage encouragement, and my plans, um, my plans can be set on the goal of heaven. Verse 8 says, Now if we die to Christ, we will live with him. Verse 10, The death he died, he died to sin, but the life he lives, he lives to God. And the whole crux, the pivot point of the, of the section says in verse 11, In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ. That word count there is an accounting term. To reckon, to tally up, I need to come to a mathematical conclusion that my body is dead. I need to remember that sin will never, that sin won't be over me, over for me until I die. But I need to consider my, myself dead to sin and alive to God. I'm told to look past the sin I struggle with and the sinful world that I live in and set my heart and my mind on the life that I will have in heaven. I'd like us to think more about the heaven that we're going to experience. Mark Twain once said, heaven, you can have it. I'd rather go to Bermuda. Think a minute about what that. Think about a vacation in Bermuda. What's that going to mean for you if you went to Bermuda? Okay, maybe it's golf. Nice, green, grassy, grassy tea. For me, it would be going to the beach. For Chris, it might be surfing. <laughs> okay. You've got to be on Facebook to understand that, okay? But going on a vacation in Bermuda, I'm going to play golf, or I'm going to go fishing, I'm going to lie on the beach, I'm going to eat some nice food, I'm going to watch those sunsets. You look at that picture of a great vacation. Great. What about your picture of heaven? What's heaven look like to you right now? Let's see, heaven. Okay, it's going to be a really long church service. Um, there's going to be a bunch of transparent angelic beings floating around. There's going to be lots of singing, and if you're into singing, that's good, but if you're not so much into singing, that's going to be interesting. There's going to be a really long church service. Um, hmm. I, don't, I don't have a picture of heaven like I have a picture of my vacation. How come we can do that? How come we can have a better picture of what a heavenly vacation might be like than what the picture we have of actual heaven? I want us to turn our hearts more towards heaven. We need to change our perspective and think about what our future will be like. And the first point is, I think we need to anticipate the sinlessness of the next life with a remade body. In heaven, we're going to have a brand new body. The sinful body is not going to be a problem any longer. This body that we have is gone. Christ is living in his remade body right now. He's not subject to death. He's not subject to sin. And we're going to have a body exactly the same as that. We won't have to fight those desires, those temptations, those weaknesses that our current body has to put up with. The body won't get old. You won't have to fight between the two yous. The two yous. You know, your spirit and your body. You won't have to fight there. Your regenerated spirit says, and your old, what, your old, what your regenerated spirit says, and what your old natural body says. You and your body will want to serve God. You and your body will want to do right. I've got to try to, try to think of an example. Think of, for me, think of something you really desire. I'm going to say chocolate cake. My mother makes an amazing chocolate cake. And it's not one of these fluffy things. It's a hard, thick, solid chocolate cake. It's about this high. 
and um, she puts all sorts of nice dark chocolate frosting on the top. Okay, think, picture, picture that piece of chocolate cake on a nice white plate, okay? It's about this big, it's about this thick, it's got nice thick icing or frosting on the top. And what would you put with that chocolate cake? A tall glass of milk. Right next to there, there's a nice tall glass of milk. It's maybe cold, it's got a little bit of condensation on it, the condensation's dripping down. Are you ready for that chocolate cake? I'm ready for that chocolate cake. My body craves that chocolate cake. Well, just think, in the future, what if our new body craved a relationship with Jesus like our body currently craves that chocolate cake? What if our body craved righteousness, our new body craved righteousness like our existing body craves that chocolate cake? What if our new body craves standing up with Jesus Craves time in the world. Wouldn't it be great to have a body like that that actually craves to do those things? Anticipate the sinlessness of the next life with this remade body that you're going to have. And of course, the next thing is we need to anticipate a new life that doesn't have a tempter. Satan's gone. Our body is susceptible to temptation. Satan's going to be trying to tempt the weakness of our current body but Satan's going to be gone forever. We won't have to face those temptations. And the third thing is, our new body's going to be living in in a, in a changed environment. We need to anticipate a changed environment. The world will be replaced, so our body won't be influenced by sin. The world is wired to help this body sin, but that will change, and there'll be no worldly society, only a godly society. I've been listening to a pastor named Mike Fabares, and he's got a quote here I'd like to read. Our sanctification is hard because we are encased in sinful flesh. We have a tempter always trying to tempt us, and we are in a world that doesn't love God or want to do right. But ultimately, we will have a body, a perfect body, that craves righteousness. No tempter, and we will live in a whole society of people who want to do nothing but what is right. We need to get a picture of that future life, the next life, and start living it now. We need to recognize that we're never going to fit into this world. We have to live here, but we can't be like the world. We have to function in this society, but we can't adopt its values. We don't live for pleasure because our ultimate pleasure is in the future. We are called to be holy. We're called to be different. We're called to be set apart. We are called to be alive to God and dead to sin, while the world is alive to sin and dead to God. We don't have to do this on our own, of course. The Holy Spirit is here to help us. Jesus is living in us. He's our secret weapon against sin. If we start thinking about the future, we can face temptation with strength and look down on sin. We can fight sin with resolve and determination because of our future. We can face the evil in this world knowing that it's but a temporary home. And I'd just like to close with a couple of verses. Colossians 3 verses 1 to 4, which Doug's been looking at the last couple of weeks. But it's a reminder to us. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. 
For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. And Philippians 3, verses 18 through chapter 4, verse 1. I'll just start, yeah, verse 18, Philippians 3. For as I have often told you, before and now, say again, even with tears, many lives, sorry, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach, and their glory is their shame. Their mind is on earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Therefore, my brothers, you whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown, this is how we should stand firm in the Lord. So set your minds and hope on heaven so that God can change your daily decisions to reflect the wonderful future that you have. Anticipate that new eternal life and start to live it now. Rob's going to come up and we're just going to share a couple of closing thoughts. Okay. 20 years ago, I started working as a bread guy. And when I got hired, I worked with about seven other guys and four of those guys were Vietnam veterans. I have a picture up here, I think, of me and a few of the other guys. We, we weren't all in that picture, but I had the privilege of, I didn't realize what it was. I, you know, I didn't realize these guys were a little rough around the edges because they had all been in Vietnam and one of the things that struck me about them all the time, you can take that down. One of the things that struck me about them all the time was that no matter what conversation started, they always had a way to turn it to the Vietnam War because that was like the moment in their life where everything came together. Like, if they sat down and we were having lunch and we had a sandwich, one of the guys would say, you know, back in Nam, we didn't have bread. And you're like, and then they would all start talking about Vietnam, and you're like, how does eating a sandwich turn into Vietnam? I don't understand that. You know, if they, if we have stickers to put on the bread, and one day I opened up the guy's truck, and he had like a whole stack of stickers, like enough for 10 years. I said, John, why do you have all these stickers? Well, back in Nam, you couldn't just get everything you wanted. Sometimes you had to hoard stuff in order to have it for later. I'm like, Okay, so no matter what conversation we start, it's going to go back to Vietnam all the time. Three, three of those guys are dead now, by the way, but one of the things I thought of when I thought about that is that as Christians, the most pivotal moment in our life was the day that Christ said, listen, I'm going to die for you. All I want you to do is live for me the way I would have lived and reach out to the people around you the way I would have reached out to them if I would have been there. And if that would have happened to any of these guys that I worked with, they would not hesitate. I just, because it was so real for them, they would turn everything into a conversation about Jesus. I just know it. You know, if we would have gone out for ice cream, they would have said, you know, I wouldn't even be able to taste this great ice cream if Jesus hadn't died for me back in Nam. You know what I mean? So, <laughs> but that's, that's, I'm serious, you know. And, but I think that we as Christians, we take that point seriously 
but maybe not as seriously as those guys did about that moment in their life. Like, I feel like, I, when I was talking to Craig, I feel like it should be so transformative that when we're at work and somebody brings up a conversation about their wife or whatever, you know, it's an opportunity for, for me to say, well, you know, I wouldn't even be in the great marriage that I am right now if Jesus hadn't died for me and showed me how to treat my wife. You know, I want, I want it, it's not that way. Don't, don't get me wrong. I don't do that. But I think in my heart, I want that to be so that the people around me will say, man, I don't know what's with Rob, but he can take any conversation and somehow we're all talking about Jesus 10 minutes later. I, I don't know how he does it, but everything to him relates back to the cross somehow. If you don't have a relationship with Jesus, I can't make you have one. I know most everyone in here does. And, and to be honest, if you don't, I feel sorry that you don't. Because I feel sorry for the people who try to go through life alone. I feel bad for them. I feel bad for the people who want a chance to start over, like the lady at Walmart who had no, you know, she just thought, you know what, I don't know how to start over. All I know is how to end the pain and suffering that I'm in right now. So like we usually do on Sunday, if you're here and you don't know how to start over, but you want to know how to start over, there are a ton of people in this congregation that would be more than happy to sit down with you through lunch. You know what I mean? It's that important. I'll sit down up here all day. I have other things to do, but nothing is more important than making sure that before you leave here, if you have unanswered questions about Christ, I will help you answer those as best I can. Or Andrew, or Dana, or Craig, or Ted and Carol. You know, they're, they're everywhere in here. I could go on. But if, if you don't, I want to give you a chance to come forward as the band, band's going to come up, I guess. Come forward, and if you, need, if you just come up and you talk to me, then I can give you someone else to talk to. If you do know Jesus, and you, you know... Uh, Lamentations 3.23 says his mercies are made new every morning. So maybe you got up this morning and you're like, you know what? Yesterday was the worst day in my life. And I know I've already died to Christ, but I would love to just die again and start over again today. You can do that today. Like, it doesn't, it's every morning. It's every day. It's any time you need it. So if you need to come forward and do that, you can. And, and if you just need some prayer, you need somebody to talk to about things that have been going on in your life and you need someone to share that with, that's what our church family is here for. We can, we can do that for you too. I'm just going to sit right, right down here and if anybody, any other elders want to come up and just wait, you can do that too. And let, me, let me just pray for us before the man. Father, I know, um, I, I know I joke around a lot, but your kingdom is, is not a joke and it's real and you have great things in store for us and great ways to pay off our debt and great ways to help us start over in perfect ways. And uh, I just pray that if there's anyone who needs a fresh start, that they are able to know that you can give it to them and that they take that up with you, Father. And also, of all the people that our church touches, all the employees and places that where we work and friends and family that we touch, can we just... Father, give us a, chan a chance to be serious enough about our relationship with you that we can turn those conversations over to something about you so that our family will think, man, that was really a pivotal moment in their life, you know, that we might be able to reach out to them for, for you. 
so that they can have this relationship that we have. In Jesus' name, amen.